You're listening to the Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talk back program. We've been talking about Jackson ever since the fire went out. I'm going to Jackson. I'm multiple Emmy and Golden Globe winner, recipient of the Officer of the British Empire in the year 2000, which was bestowed upon her by Queen Elizabeth II at Buckingham Palace. Jane Seymour has proven her talents in virtually all media, the Broadway stage, motion pictures, and television, from Bond Girl to Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman to Dancing with the Stars to Friends with This Couple, singing there in the background. Hollywood actress Jane Seymour is indeed a woman of many talents. Of course, also known for her talents as an artist, author, poet, dancer, jewelry designer, this romantic seemed to be the perfect choice for our Valentine's Day special today. Jane Seymour, thank you for joining us. It is an honor. Thank you. It's good to be there. If uh, you had to choose between Joyce Penelope, Wilhelmina Frankenberg, or Joya Johns, or Kitty Cat, which one would you really choose? <laughs> well, I guess I'd have to choose the one I was born with. <laughs> i got to say, I, um, I saw that clip recently. We're talking about uh, the movie Wedding Crashers, Owen Wilson, and dare I start off an interview with Jane Seymour like this, but was there a boob double? No, uh, but actually if you, and many people have, rewound it about a trillion times, there was nothing actually to be seen. But no, I was the only person uh, with my own body on that show. Right, well, well done. There you go. In, in, more, in more ways than one. I, I actually had to stop doing research on you this week for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, there's just way too much material to wade through. It is unbelievable. And number two, I started getting a little crush on you. Oh, uh, well, I don't, well, thank you. I don't want to sound too creepy. <laughs> But but it has to do with uh, the heart that you have. And, of course, we're going to be talking about Open Heart and what's behind that organization. But the journey that you've had and, uh, I mean, Survivor, people have used that to describe you time and time again. And that's, yeah. the, that's the part I fell in love. I mean, obviously, you're beautiful. Everyone knows that. That's a moot point. But, boy, I love that Survivor instinct you have. Well, thank you. You know, I, I grew up the daughter of a survivor. My mother survived um, World War II in a Japanese concentration camp in Indonesia. Um, she was of Dutch origin. She was living there in a tea plantation, and um, all the, the women and children were incarcerated. And, you know, growing up as a, as a child, uh, my father had also been uh, serving in South Africa and ultimately opened the gates of Bergen-Belsen and had lost three of his cousins there. So mm. by the time I was born... Um, my parents had been through hell and back, and their real motive in life was to help other people. They were so grateful to be alive and so grateful for what they had and, and to have found one another. And, um, you know, it was just normal in our home to, to give back, to help other people. My father was a doctor. He invariably, he helped people for free. And um, my mother always, you know, her mantra was always that there was always someone worse off than you. And when life was tough and you felt something was insurmountable, if you opened your heart, in other words, were able to be open about it, let go of it, realize it's happened, it's done, it's been said, it's, it's, it's an issue, be in the present moment, and by reaching out to help someone else, you would actually help yourself and heal yourself. And so this is not something really brand new to me. This is how I and my sisters grew up, and, and everyone who ever knew my mother knew that that was really very much who she was. Yeah, I mean, not many of us are blessed with having that kind of mother. I did as well. I had the, the same kind of mother, servant-hearted, 
what can I do for others? I mean, to the point where she would be at home baking some great desserts or cake or pastry or pie or something, and I could never eat this stuff because she was always giving it away to charities or some <laughs> organization, you know? A very, it was traumatic as a child, I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. well, I'm not that. But... How, uh, how relieved are you that you finally finished that painting of the pink peony? The pink peony, very relieved. Actually, I'm I'm very excited because it was a gift for somebody, and uh, I don't think I should send it because I think it's around this time that that pink peony is going to be presented. Oh, I was very proud of it. It came out beautifully. Thank you. I can't believe you've been painting for 20 years. Think about that. I, I have. You know, painting was very much a healing for me. I went through a terrible, terrible crisis. Um, just around the time I was 40, I found out that my husband had been very unfaithful, and to top it off, had lost all our money. And I was beyond bankrupt, and my father just died of cancer, and I found myself homeless, penniless, and with lawsuits from every major bank and things I just didn't even understand. And it was like I'd been married to a person that I didn't know. And so, you know, a lot of people go through this kind of thing, and, of course, I had to go through it pretty publicly because that's what happens when you're public. Mm -hmm. But I remembered what my mother had said, and I, I, I gave the last money I had at a silent auction for a child abuse event, agency that I worked with child help and uh, in return for a, a drawing of my kids and this artist had offered to do that as a donation and when he came to my house he saw these little finger paintings they'd done and gave me some free art lessons and the next thing I knew this was really my healing this was a way that I could process a lot of the feelings I had and the interesting thing was that I kept painting serenity I kept painting very serene places I painted the place that I wanted to go um, subconsciously and then, you know, later as I was painting and doing all kinds of things, I found myself painting hearts. And every time I painted a heart, I left it open. And I, again, subconsciously, I thought, gosh, you know, that's maybe this is because of what my mother had always told me. And, and then I came up with that funny little squiggle, the two open hearts that connect, which really, you know, spoke to me. And I thought, you know, that's really an interesting image. And uh, I, I thought, you know, this really represents, you know, my... My quest in life, this represents, you know, what my mom taught me. This represents the way I try to approach life. And I felt that I, I could maybe do something useful with this. So it, it was originally paintings and sculptures, and then ultimately it became a piece of jewelry, only because my mom had a stroke and she was dying, and I was uh, doing her favorite show, Dancing with the Stars, and I knew I wouldn't be able to see her again. And I knew this was her wish, her last wish, that I did this show. So I was wearing this single piece of jewelry on the show. And, you know, end of story, people saw it, and uh, it turned into a line. What do you think Dame Margot Fountain would have, or no, Fontaine, Fontaine. Would, have, would have said about you being on Dancing with the Stars? Would, you know, how do you think she would I have think been? she would have been very happy. I actually got to meet Dame Margot. I mean, she was my dream person. And, and um, I got to meet her just before she died, believe it or not. And she was just lovely, the just two of us talking. And I think, you know, when you've been a dancer and you have had a passion for something like that, that, that you know, the little five-year-old inside of me that always wanted to dance still wants to dance. <laughs> and uh, it's a little harder now, but I, I just think, you know, that was a dream come true when I did Dancing with the Stars. I was able to fulfill something that was, you know, just very much part of the essence of who I am. Yeah. Well, had your knee not become a problem, I wonder where you'd be today. Certainly not a high school teacher like your parents wanted you to, to be. No, well, they wanted me to, to teach dance because when I injured myself, they thought that was the safe option. And, of course, it would have been a very safe option except that, you know, that really wasn't what I wanted to do. And um, I really wanted to act. I wanted to perform. And mercifully, you know, it, it was not an injury that, you know, has, has you know, hurt me in my life at all. In fact, yeah. my knees are perfectly fine now. 
that um, I, I just considered it was a blessing, you know, by not being a dancer. I would never have been a great dancer. I would have been an okay dancer. I would have been in the corps de ballet if I was lucky, and I would definitely have injured, would have injured myself consistently. Um, you know, now I, I get to dance and act and, you know, and, and do all the different things I do, paint and do philanthropy and all kinds of things. And and uh, I just think, you know, I, I really tell the story about what happened with me as a dancer when I was younger because a lot of people's dreams in life are dashed and and a lot of people go down a deep dark tunnel of depression when something happens like that and they just don't know how to turn it around and turn it into something positive and something um you know wonderful in their lives okay well speaking of the acting dr queen medicine woman uh, many people know you for that if you had to choose between the episode where you were giving birth and just about ripped sully's face off uh, the episode where you got to ride a horse really fast, or the episode which your husband directed, as your favorite, you can only pick one, Jane. Only one. Uh, I really liked uh, trying to rip Sully's face. <laughs> yeah, I, I I had a little grieve with, grievance with him at the time, anyway, and it was just it was just perfect, perfect moment of communication. And every time I see him now, we're very very close friends. We laugh about that one. Wow. It probably doesn't seem uh, like what is it, about fifteen years ago that you were walking around with a fifty-inch waist. Yes, it was 15, 15 years and a couple of months. I know the boys are now way taller and bigger than me. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, one of them's actually re rehearsing in the other room. They have a, a, um, a, a rock group, and he's the, the writer and lead singer and lead guitarist, and you're going to hear from him. It's called Plead the Fifth, and he's actually Johnny Cash's godson, and that's why he's called Johnny Keach. Look on my website, janeseymour.com. You can actually download some of that music for free if you want you know, it's it's a rather ironic, I think. Uh, you know, here you are, you know, six children, four of whom you birthed yourself. But back in the day, apparently you were the only virgin they could find in the 70s, which is what got you the Bond girl part in Roger Moore's first big movie, Live and Let Die. Yeah. I, I, the irony of that is just a bit goofy, don't you think? It's a little goofy. I don't know that I was actually was a virgin that time, but I was as close as they could find in, you know, the swinging 60s and 70s. And yeah. if you think about it, I, I kind of cornered the market on virgins. I was still playing them when I was 40-something, right. Dr. Right. Quinn, which is a little embarrassing. <laughs> a lot of guest stars that's, uh, on that show, uh, obviously ones that stand out, Willie Nelson, Mr. Rogers, uh, Johnny Cash, June Carter Cash. Of course, uh, your husband, uh, James Keach, produced Walk the Line, so there's the connection there as well. Uh, any other stars, guest stars that stand out uh, on that production? Oh, we had so many great people. Um, I'm just thinking Trisha Yearwood was on it, I think. And, hmm. uh, gosh, I, a lot of the country people came on, on the show, but it, it was very special. I think, you know, Johnny and June was the biggest standout, and they came back three times. Willie Nelson came back twice. And um, I became very good friends with, with all of them, and Johnny and June especially. And, and in fact, Johnny asked uh, James to make Walk the Line, to make the story of their lives. And, and um, James's response was, Johnny, the story is not really your life so much as it's about redemption, and you'll be able to help a lot of people. And, you know, that's, you know I'm married to a pretty wonderful man, and Johnny Cash uh, thought so too, and that's how we made Walk the Line. Yeah, I think James really gets the concept of redemption. I remember yeah. seeing a snip where he was talking about so, you know, someone said to him, uh, really, you're going to marry this lady? You know, she's been married a couple times before, you know, got the kids, uh, what, you know. And and his comeback to this person was something along the lines of, well, don't we all have baggage? And we've all got stuff we're, we're bringing to the party. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think, Absolutely. I don't know who married up more, you or him. You both, just a tremendous <laughs> we, couple. 
Well, thank you. And, and I, I'm so proud of him. I mean, what he's doing now and what we're doing with our lives now is just beyond exciting. You know, we, um, we do a lot of things together. And when I was working with the American Red Cross, I, I went to Africa and we took the kids as well. And we firsthand saw, you know, the, the horrors of what, what's going on in the world and, you know, and how tough life really is for people. And, and we were part of this amazing mission to, to, um, uh, we actually vaccinated just under 14 million kids in uh, Kenya in one week. Wow. And when you see stuff like that, and you actually see what's going on in the world, and you know, people say, I want to help, I want to be charitable, I want to make a difference. I remember James turning to me and, and the kids turning to me, and he said, you know what, let's as a family have a foundation. Let's find some way that we can cut through all the charity stuff where it's not getting to the people and find a way to get things to the people all over the world where they really need it and, and what they need and make sure that nobody siphons it off from them. Because I think it's, you know, it's very hard. You know, there's a lot of corruption in a lot of these countries. And I think at the end of the day, we look to one another and we realize what these kids wanted. And we realize globally the most important thing, uh, and as an investment for our entire world, was to serve children and to educate them. Because you cannot take that education away from them. If you educate them, you know, they can grow with that and they can pay it forward. And so that was very important, that and mentorship and then, of course, you know, basic health. And, and so, you know, that's really become like the, the mission of the family. And, and it was really cute because the, the little boys came home. I think there were four or five at the time. And they said, Mom, Dad, we don't need anything for birthday and Christmas. We, want, we don't need all these toys. We want to give it to the kids in Africa. Well, of course, that hooks in quite nicely with the Open Hearts Foundation. Uh, you've, got oh, yeah. this, you've, you've got this uh, inaugural celebration happening uh, fairly soon, I think. February 19th, yes. Um, well, I'm, I'm turning 60, if you can believe that, in a couple of days. And, and James turned to me and said, what would you like for your 60th birthday? And I said, the only thing I would really like is to find a way to really spread, you know, this, this amazing philosophy of, of open hearts, which is already, you know, spreading like wildfire here in, in America, and, and it's because of the art and jewelry and the rest of it. But it's, uh, you know, the amazing thing about talking about opening your heart is that people then talk about the adversity they've been through, and then they show you how they've turned it around and, and they've helped other people. And we're, we have a foundation, it's our first event. Um, we're going to um, be honoring four people. Emmett Smith and his wife Pat for uh, the work they've done with underprivileged children in the projects and in terms of education. Um, Robin Roberts uh, from, from Good Morning America and how she's been so open and really helping people cope with cancer. And um, Jesse Bilal, who's a young man who um, was para became paraplegic, actually quadriplegic from a surfing accident and, and started a foundation called Life Rolls On and he helps young people who've um, you know lost their abilities. And Susan Rizzo, um, uh, Vincent, whose uh, daughter was a cancer patient most of her life in and out of children's hospital and then was tragically killed at the age of 24 by a drunk driver. Oh. And her dream, this little 24-year-old girl, was to bring dance therapy into children's hospitals. And um, so those are our four recipients, and uh, it's, a, it's, it's really very exciting. Um, our dream is to actually be able to honor people that are doing this, turning crisis around you know, either in their lives or close to their lives, and turning it into an opportunity to help other people. And to do this all over the world, we want to be able to do it, for example, in Canada and go there and honor people there in Canada and then have the funds that are raised go to the charities in that local area so that we really are speaking about the philosophy of open hearts and honoring that. So we're, rather than being a charity that's just one specific thing, this is, this is why we're, we're slightly more general. But 
Okay, uh, with you turning 60 next week, I mean, I have a couple of questions about that. One, does that freak you out at all? And then two, the whole giving back thing seems to hit people later in life. But I don't think that's true of you, Jane. With the family you grew up in with, mm. that theme has been through you. It's been running through you right, right through. I mean, you're, you know, this is we're talking about what your mom has said right from the beginning. Mm. So, you know, it didn't dawn on you now that you're approaching 60. Oh, you know, let's all of a sudden give back. Did it? No. I've been doing it my whole life, yeah. but I think, you know, I, I realize that I have the privilege of being able to communicate, for example, talk to you and to, to your, have your, your listeners, you know, listen in and encourage them to do this. I mean, that was an amazing privilege, and that came from, obviously, from acting and doing the different things that I've done. So I sort of see my role as a communicator and as, um, as somebody who is able to help people find the really good organizations and the really good people so that when they do donate and they do want to make a difference, they know it's going to go to the right place and it right. will actually make a difference. Right. So, but I, I did have I had a near-death experience many, many years ago. You've had a couple um, of them. I have, I've had three. Three. But one in particular where I actually left my body. And, and, you know, something very spiritual and amazingly simple happened to me. I, I saw... The, the nurse re resuscitating me, I saw I was out of my body, literally. I, I saw the white light. I saw everything. And I was so grateful, ultimately, to be back in my body that I, I realized that the only thing you take with you from this life is the difference you've made in the world and the love you've shared with someone else or with other people. Mm -hmm. And it makes life very simple then because you realize you don't take your house, you don't take the jewelry, <laughs> you don't take the awards, you certainly don't take the money. Um, you know, that, and it just, it, it's a, just a wonderful blessing to actually have had that happen to me early enough in life that I was able to, you know, kind of look at life in a different way and, and um, you know, not, not sweat really silly small stuff and really, um, you know, see, see what I can do personally to make a difference. And I always tell people, if you, have, if you have money, it's fantastic. You can contribute money. If you have organizational skills, you know, get in and help people. If you can just be kind and sweet and listen to someone at the market or, you know, help somebody cross the street or, yeah, like your mom, you know, bake, bake some cakes or make more dinner for somebody that you know is, lives next door and, and, and you know, might, maybe can't move around so much. I mean, that's, um, that's an exciting way to live. And... It also gives you purpose, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking with this turning 60, well, first of all, is it freaking you out? Next week, 60. No, actually, funnily enough, I am in the best shape of my entire life. I think when at first I was slightly freaked out because I didn't like the, the number six in front of anything. And then I just realized that actually there was no reason why I couldn't be really fit. So I just did an, I just danced with the Dancing with the Stars kids um, live on, on the L.A. stage last weekend. I'm in the middle of doing a, a show called Castle. Um, I'm probably skinnier now and in better shape now than I was when I was 21. In fact, yeah. I know I am because oh. I still have the clothes in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Don't even ask about oh, that. Oh, my That's goodness. <laughs> I remember asking Larry King this. I said, Larry, there's something about you, and every time you talk with uh, Dr. Billy Graham, the subject of death comes up. And I said to him, are you afraid of dying? And Larry said, you bet your ass I am. Are you afraid of dying, Jane? You know something? As close as you get to dying has already happened to me. And I always tell people that the amazing thing is that that as much, you know, panic or pain or whatever the issue was before I left my body, the moment I left my body, I was in a very serene, calm state. And I was calmly watching other people freak out, you know, around what was clearly my body. And I could see that I was clearly there in the room. Who I am was there. 
my physical body was there, but it wasn't attached to who I am. It's hard to explain it, but I, I therefore absolutely believe that, that, you know, our souls, our spirits, whatever, do, do leave our bodies and do go somewhere. And I do believe in a higher power. And I, um, I realized that, you know, when your time comes, it comes. My mother always used to tell me that. She said, you, you, know, you just never know. I mean, she had a friend who was incredibly careful, never flew, never did, you know, never did anything dangerous. And she was standing there by, by the bus stop, and a bus came and, and hit her when she was oh, 50. Gee. Perfectly healthy. So you just don't know when it's coming. No. And fearing anything, I think, is a terrible waste of, of um, time. And I've always loved that quote, fear is false evidence appearing real. Hmm. Isn't that a wonderful yeah. quote? I'd rather have a nice long life if I sure, can. Sure, <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, just your story about the bus and the lady with the bus. I mean, we think about Christopher Reeve. Uh, you know, yes. but, th- and Dana. Exactly, exactly. So How freaky is that? Yeah. yeah. Somewhere in time with Christopher Reeve. I mean, it, when I think back to that, it just it blows my mind that the Blues Brothers overshadowed this romantic cult classic. Yeah. Well, you know what? The, the, um, Did they all come down the Universal, budget? Universal didn't know what they had. Right. They they knew they had some little little movie, and they had Superman in it, and he'd wanted to do it, and it didn't cost very much. Um, they had a, a write a, 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 no an actor strike at that time, so Chris and I weren't allowed to do any publicity on it. Mm-hmm. There was no promotion, nothing, and it was just ridiculously frustrating. And then, of course, the Blues Brothers they weren't quite sure what they had there. They were afraid it was a flop, and it cost forty million plus. So. They put all their money behind that because, you know, you, you back your investment. And, uh, and uh, you know, the public found it. But I found in my career that whenever I've done something that the critics or, you know, the networks or, you know, haven't pushed because they didn't really believe in it, it's always ended up being my most successful thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Dr. Quinn was the same way. Dr. Quinn was never supposed to happen. It was supposed to be killed in its first episode. That wow. was the intention of the network. And it still plays in 98 countries on a daily basis, sometimes all day. I think it's on the Gospel Channel here right now. <laughs> really? Well, it's I wild, had. It's it? funny you mentioned that. I had a, a friend of mine uh, call in earlier in the show. Her name is uh, Madeline uh, Smith Osborne. Uh, she's been in a few movies. Uh, well, she worked with Christopher Reeve as well. She was in uh, Urban Cowboy and uh, a, a few others. And she has an 11 year old daughter, and her daughter has a friend, another 11 year And they are in love with this movie. She wanted me to pass along. Uh, first of all, uh, mutual love for Christopher, for Chris, and that this movie is still really impacting 11-year-old girls here in Canada. And and you know what? Even General Colin Powell, who I met a few years back, he looked at me and said, Oh, my God, Somewhere in Time. It's my favorite movie I've seen it 15 times. <laughs> really? That was before he became part of the administration. Yes. So when you think about that, here's like a four-star general is... <laughs> Is thinks that summer in time is a very meaningful um, moment in his life. And I, I, my daughter was at college, Katie, and uh, Columbia University, and I'd been asked to try and do come up with a remake or a prequel or sequel of Summer in Time. And she said, "Mom, you mustn't touch it." I said, "Why?" She said, "You don't understand." She said, "This is everyone's favorite movie in college." And I said, "Why?" And she said, "Well, you know, when guys date girls, you know, they uh, they want to see how how people respond to watching the movie." It's and the, it's the litmus test. It's a chick flick, but it's not. It's a guy flick. It's a secret guy flick. It is. Yeah. The, men, well, it, want, men want to know that they can find the one. Well, that's... Okay, so I wanted to ask you... Oh, this is what I've been really wanting to ask. For all, for all okay. the other stuff. The one. You believe in the one. And I don't think I believe in the one. So, is that first of all, does that mean we can't be friends? Second of all, sell me on your point of view here. You believe in the one. 
I don't. No, that was the, p- the premise of the movie. No, but you uh, you said that in an interview. What? I watched you say that. Uh, so just right now, do you believe in the one? Because if you believe in the one and you end up marrying, you know, what's the Crosby, Stills, Nash song? If you can't love the one you want, love the one you're with. If you've missed the one, then where does that put I your think- state of being, your state of mind? Um, you know, I don't. I don't know when I said that I believed in the one. And if I did, I certainly changed my mind. I, I believe that pretty much every relationship that I've had has been very meaningful and important, and I wouldn't have been without it. So, you know, even if it's someone I'm not with anymore, I, the the love that I felt and the feelings that we shared are, are still very much a part of who I am and part of my ex- life experience. And 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 I, I can't imagine not having had that. Um, you know, in the same way, some people that that I've that I loved, you know, uh, disappointed me or 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 hurt me profoundly at some point. But for some reason, I've been able to move forward from that and and really remember the good stuff. Mm. Um, I would say that in terms of a soulmate, I I think I've had the privilege of 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 having a couple of soulmates in my life. Chris and, being one uh, of them. Chris would definitely be one of them, but as you know, we never were married or anything like that. But I mean, to, to the day he died, and, and honestly, on a daily basis, I, I just am reminded of him, and I, a smile comes on my face when I think about him. And um, you know, he's just very meaningful to me in my life. And and uh, you know, James is an extraordinary man, and and I'm just so blessed to have had him in my life at this time in my life. And I don't think I would have appreciated him as much or he, me, earlier in life. So I can't imagine that, you know, we could have ever met earlier and been married and lived happily ever after then. I think we were just meant to be together at this time in our life. You know, forgiveness and grace is something else I think you exude. I mean, for you to to still have a, a fairly decent relationship with, uh, you know, a couple of your exes, uh, Michael. All and, of them, and, actually. And G- oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Even the, yeah, come on. Even, uh, I, even David. Even David? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. David has been coming to my house, sitting. He loves the twins since they were newborn. He'd come in and he'd hu- hug them and hold them. And, and yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, if David ever has problems, we are the first to jump up and, and be there for him and help him. Wow. Absolutely. In fact, I always tell people that as acrimonious as that divorce was, and, as, and, it, and, it, and it was really tough in so many ways and so devastating, I think the, the thing that I'm most proud of, and I think he would say he's most proud of too, is that. We never fought over the children, ever. And the children had 24-7 access um, to either parent at any time. And that even if we, they, the kids were with one or the other on a weekend and they had a ball game or whatever was happening, we know we, we, that never stopped us all from showing up and actually sitting next to each other, even when we were going through terrible court battles. We never, ever let it impact the children, ever. Amazing. Amazing. That's my only really good piece of advice that I can give. But honestly, that's part of my what I'm talking about with open heart. You know, if you can, if you can let go of the bad stuff and just say, okay, whatever happened, you know, I maybe contributed to the demise of the marriage. Maybe he did. Maybe circumstances did. Whatever, you know, maybe things were said and done that, you know, we wished hadn't happened. But you know, we have to let go of that, you know. And I, I think that's sort of also the essence of pretty much every faith is is about forgiveness, about opening your heart, letting go, and reaching out to help someone else. And and that's. You know, if, if if I leave nothing else in this world, hopefully people will realize that life isn't perfect, choices you make aren't always perfect, things don't always go according to plan, mm-hmm. you know, And but that there is redemption, there is a way of living with forgiveness, there is a way of moving forward, and there is a way of, 
of, of turning it into something positive. So it's not just a foundation. It's not just a book. It's not just a jewelry line. This is a mantra for no. you. No, it, it's, it's a philosophy. And the most amazing thing is that literally... Every open heart, we always say, has a story because people come to me now, especially when I'm at art shows and they, you know, can come right up to me and they, they'll say, you know, your story and what happened to you and, you know, this is what happened to me. And, and then I see them, you know, talking about how they opened their hearts, how they actually use this and it really helped them. And so now we have um, uh, keepanopenheart.com. It's the place where people are actually sending us their stories. Wow. And we're able to share them with other people. And, you know, this is, it, it's really become, it's, it's really what I always dreamed it could be. It's it's way beyond, you know, anything physical. It, it's it's something that hopefully will will help heal people and help people globally and um, you know financially, but but really more so I think philosophically and emotionally because I don't think there's a person on the planet that doesn't have stuff or isn't going to have to go through some something in their lives where the need to open their hearts to be able to move forward, you know, you know, will happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of uh, political scenes. I'm thinking about Egypt. I'm thinking about wars. Yeah. You know, James Taylor's got a beautiful song which talks about who will lay their weapons down first. And oh man, yeah. Well, I wrote a couple of, of little books. One's called Open Hearts, and the other one's called um, Among Angels. And the principle behind both books is this philosophy. And what was so exciting to me was I found scriptures from every faith, and from beautiful writings from great writers and poets through the ages, and uh, and every one of them spoke of opening your heart. And if you see that then you know one of my my also dreams is that we find a way that we can all connect globally you know we're all different and we have different you know faiths and different practices and different circumstances but isn't it more wonderful to look at what we all have in common rather than you know oh you're different you're wrong you must die mm -hmm. wow yeah you know? yeah <laughs> uh, during your vows to james Yes. Your now and forever husband. You said, out of great sadness, I have discovered greater joy than I ever knew existed. Truth. Is there anything that would close Jane Seymour's heart? I, I have a really tough time with betrayal, but since I've been through that before and since I was able to open my heart and move through it, I would say, no, I think... Uh, but Jane, if I, it happened again... Capable. If it happened again, I think it would it would be incredibly devastating, and I think, but I, I don't think it would put me under. It would not, it would not destroy my life. I would see it as, um, you know, as as something that was a choice that someone else had made. That, mm. you know, that maybe they regretted. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, I don't have to deal with it. But you know, stuff happens. Yeah, stuff happens. Yeah, life happens. Nothing's perfect. And if you come from the place of, you know, there, there, is, there is no perfect, there's only your best intentions and your best uh, attempts at trying things. And that if you, can, if you can forgive and forget, if you can move forward, if you can let go, um, you know, it honestly is my mantra. I mean, I, I find a way to, to kind of remind myself of this on a daily basis when I get upset about things and, you know, when somebody lets me down or, uh, you know, I'm working with somebody and... and they don't do what I asked, or they do it with a bad attitude, or I get mad at them, or, you know, my kids do something wrong. I I just... Um, the Gerber babies act up. The Gerber babies sometimes <laughs> act up, but you know what? I, I We always, we're always able to, to come back from whatever it is, you know, and I, I tell them, you know, if you're honest, if we can talk about it, if you can just come clean with why you made that choice and what it was and, and you know, and you're... 100% honest about it, I said we can all move forward. 
You sound more Christ-like than most Christians I know. <laughs> no, I'm not at all. I'm in 100% imperfect. 100%. I'm just I'm a, I'm a another work in progress like everybody else. I get the feeling that you always get what you want eventually. Like for example, you persuaded John Barry to do the score for Somewhere in Time for nothing. So, what do you want for the Open Heart Foundation? What do you want for them? Well, John Barry, by the way, did it for nothing and ended up making more money from that one <laughs> that one record than anything else he ever did. So, you know, talk about you know, this is exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. He did it because he believed in it, and and he and he loved me, and he you know he's a really good was a really good friend, and it ended up being a, a huge blessing for him financially in his life. Um, what do I want for the Open Heart Foundation? I want to inspire people to take their their challenges in life open their hearts to help other people and in so doing help themselves and with the foundation I want to be able to with this image honor people who are doing this um, highlight you know what they've done so other people can can hear and see the difference that they're making in their communities in their world and uh, at the same time raise money for really great organizations and some of these organizations will be big like in our, our, our first one one of them will be St. Jude's and some of them will be tiny, like Susan Vincent's, uh, Vincent's um, um, organization. But, you know, the money that goes there is going to make such a huge difference to so many kids in hospitals who are going through, through cancer and, 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 you know, and, and other ailments. Well, look, if you get a box of good and plenties in the mail in the next couple of weeks, <laughs> just know that I, I'm an even bigger fan than Gorbachev is, okay? I'm just saying that right now. Let me just say, I'm a huge fan of yours because you probably have just done one of the best interviews ever. You, your research is ridiculous. You know more about me even than I do. Stop it. Stop it. Well, your listeners should be very happy to know that you're way on top of your game. Jane, I appreciate your heart and your time, your open heart, I guess I should say. So thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you so much. If people want to know more, they can come to janeseymour.com or, of course, the Open Heart Foundation. Okay, that's my and job. Now you're taking my job away. When you, oh, I'm taking when your you, job when away. When you hang well, up, that's all the stuff that I would normally say, okay? Come I am, on. I am so gone. <laughs> take it away. <laughs> Thank you, Jane. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> Jane Seymour, that is who we've been chatting with. And, uh, wow, what a heart, huh? And as Jane Seymour so eloquently put it, uh, you need to go to her website. You can find out about so much stuff, whether it's the Open Heart Foundation or whether it's the, the jewelry line or the book. or uh, she She's not just a product machine. I mean, you heard her heart. This is real. This is the real deal. Okay? JaneSeymour.com, of course, is where you go. Folks, a short break, and when we come back, it's the final stretch on the Drew Marshall Show, and it's Love Songs with Jacob and Jody. It doesn't get any sweeter than that. Our Valentine's Day special would not be complete without two of Canada's sweetest recording artists joining forces and melting the ice around our cynical and love-starved hearts. I can't even get through that. I started laughing halfway through it. Sorry, I, Some, somebody's I, just, got, I was able to swallow the puke Did you get a little back. something yeah, there? Just Somebody back. call Hallmark real quick. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. You were young and your heart was an open book You used to say, live and let live You know you did, you know you did, you know you did But if this ever-changing world in which we live in Makes you give in and cry 
Say live and let die.